0: You thought that you could have it all, and life could be a ball. Well, you fell and scabbed your knees.
1: Welcome to the Recovering CEO Podcast. I'm Derek, the Recovering CEO. Today, I'm here with a special guest all the way from California, uh, TJ Woodward, a revolutionary recovery expert, a uh, selling author, inspirational, p- inspirational speaker, and addiction treatment specialist. Uh, TJ has helped countless people through the simple yet powerful teachings. He's the creator of the conscious recovery method, a uh, groundbreaking and effective approach to viewing and treating addiction. Uh, TJ is a featured thought leader on Wholehearted.org along with Brene Brown, Marianne Williamson, uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, and Mark Lundholm. He is given he was given the honor of being ordained as an agape minister by Dr. Michael Beckwith and was also the founding minister of Agape Bay, hope I'm saying that right, Agape Bay Area in Oakland, which was the first satellite community of the Agape International Spiritual Center in LA. Uh, TJ is the author of best selling books. Conscious Being, Awakening to Our True Nature, Conscious Recovery, A Fresh Perspective on Addiction, and Conscious Creation, Five Steps to Embracing the Life of Your Dreams. Uh, Please help me welcome TJ Woodward. Good morning, TJ.
0: Good morning, Derek. I'm so delighted to be here with you, and uh, I just love being in conversation about recovery and how we can live our best life, so I'm honored to be a guest on your show today.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, we are really glad to have you. As you know, this is Recovering CEO. So we are here to help people who may be suffering from addiction or maybe they have loved ones who are dealing with addiction. And I know that's kind of what you do, correct?
0: That is kind of what I do. Absolutely. And I really have um, a particular point of view around recovery that might be similar to some others and might also be completely different to some that we have you know, had in our consciousness for the last um, 100 years or so.
1: Okay. So tell us, you know, what is conscious recovery and why did you start it? I'm very curious.
0: Well, conscious recovery, I guess the, the semi long version is I started conscious recovery. I'll go way back to my early recovery when I was about 18 months to two years sober. I found myself suicidal. And it was because I hadn't really addressed the underlying root causes of my addiction. I'm very fortunate to have been sober, it's now 35 years I've been sober, and I started working in the addiction treatment field roughly 15 years ago, and I quickly noticed that most of the modalities were treating symptoms and behaviors, and people were getting these tools to help them in their recovery, and then they were going out into the world, drinking and using it again, coming back to treatment. So I became really curious about how we could help people heal the underlying root causes and you know it really goes back to my own story because I met a woman when I was 18 months sober roughly that changed my life that really helped me reconnect with my true nature and start to finally address some of these uh, some of the past traumas and the disconnection I was experiencing and the shame and so I've Created conscious recovery. First, it was a book, then a workbook, and now it's a curriculum that is run at treatment programs all over the United States. And I'm deeply honored to uh, share really what saved my life, and hope that it will also help save other people from, you know, dying from addiction, and and also in addition to that, just living a life that's not um, connected and on purpose.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. So. Uh, meeting with this woman when you're 18 months sober really kind of helped transform your life, which now you're helping transform other people's lives. Um, tell yeah. us some of the, pr- the principles that you teach. Tell us, tell us about a little bit.
0: Yeah, so the foundational principle, or maybe we could say the first principle, and this is perhaps the most important, is underneath all addictive behavior is an essential self that is whole and perfect. And this is what really saved my life because I felt so damaged, so broken, I felt like I was beyond repair. And I see that with clients that I work with. I, Along with seeing people come back to treatment over and over and over again, one thing that really stood out to me is people wanting to get sober and they had so much shame. So this idea, this idea that what would happen, it's really a question, what might happen if we were to view our clients through the lens of wholeness rather than brokenness, that became a mission in my life um, because you know, well-meaning clinicians have been trained to diagnose and treat. And of course it has a place. And in addition to that, there's a, often, I think, maybe a bit unconscious, people are looked at as broken or damaged. And a lot of counselors and clinicians think, Okay, you're broken, and my job is to fix you. And I don't think that paradigm really actually helps heal. It just continues to, we're in this cycle of people getting some support, getting the tools Mm -hmm. they need, and then coming back.
1: Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. Cause, you know, I've noticed this too, TJ, uh, because I've been sober 25 years uh, from drugs and alcohol, but addiction kept creeping into my life. You know, there were still other ways that I wanted to numb and check out. And and as I've learned, as I'm learning, it's it's really a journey, TJ, is uh, if I don't address the, the initial harm and trauma, I'm never gonna get better, right? Would you say?
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. And and we see that time and time again, someone will get sober. Let's say that they are able to get sober from drugs and alcohol, if that was their primary issue. And then um, addictive sex comes up or shopping comes up or eating comes up or relationships. That was 100% true in my life. And I would love to tell you that I met Mary Helen, this woman that changed my life, I reconnected with my true nature and never had another issue with addiction. But that just is not my story. It's been a journey of recognizing my own wholeness and it's been a journey of noticing what happens when I believe I'm broken or when I believe that I am my trauma or that it's just too scary to look at. And when I got sober... 35 years ago, the paradigm was don't worry about any of that. Just don't drink today and your life is a miracle. Go help someone else. And so I was in this cycle of trying to help people in my early recovery without really healing the trauma. And so, yeah, I was running from it. And what I was running toward was all kinds of different addictive behavior. And that cycle became so painful. So my hope with conscious recovery is that we can provide these tools, and it's really not tools. It's really a, a way of being that helps someone reconnect with their true nature much earlier on, so they don't have to have these years of like just shifting from one addiction to another.
1: Oh my god! Yeah, I used to talk about kind of spinning the wheel of addiction. <laughs> like, which one am I going to choose today? You know, because I can't deal with reality. Um, and, and it's funny because back in the day, like you said, like when I first got sober, like I slept a lot, I ate a lot of ice cream. And honestly, I I masturbated a lot. You know, I hate saying that, but it's a little awkward. But the point is, is I was substituting and I thought I was doing good by just abstaining from alcohol. But the point is, is I was building patterns of other addiction. Now, tell us, you know, give us some story. Like, how how have people healed where they move beyond that? You know, when I could stop using addiction to solve my problems and start using other techniques, you know, can you tell me a story or anything like that or?
0: Oh, so many different stories. And it it kind of um, connects with one of the core principles or core concepts in conscious recovery. And that is that addiction is a brilliant strategy, not a coping mechanism or a defense mechanism. And when, when someone actually gets that, then they look at how it actually served them. And so I could tell so many stories of people. Um, I, I There was one person that I can think of um, the person that's coming to mind, I, I received an email from someone. He had been to treatment 40, four zero times. And he said that he, he went to a treatment program that was using conscious recovery. And just reading this idea, the question, what if I'm not broken? What if I'm whole and perfect? What if the, the addiction was simply me trying to experience my wholeness? Um, I I write about it in, in Conscious Recovery. I talk about it like we have an umbilical cord in our hand and we're trying to plug into someone, something, some behavior to bring relief. And what he told me is, It was twofold. One, when he realized, oh, my addiction wasn't bad or wrong. It wasn't about getting rid of it. It was about being curious about it. What within me felt disconnected and how I was trying to plug in. And in his case, 40 times in treatment. And he realized the whole time that there wasn't anything wrong with him or the addiction, but the journey was about reconnecting with his true nature. Mm -hmm. And what he shared with me in this email is, Because of that, as the first step, the foundation, he was then able to finally start looking at a lot of the trauma where it originated, this idea of being broken. And a lot of treatment programs uh, kind of shy away from addressing trauma. And I understand why they do, but that's part of what keeps this cycle. And he said, finally, he realized... Once he started working with the trauma, it was nowhere near as scary as he thought it would be, and it was because he spent some time
1: acknowledging his,
0: his inherent wholeness
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you know it's it's very interesting uh honestly, for many, many years, you know because I, I I go to five or six meetings a week, you know for years and years and years, nobody ever talked about this, honestly you know I mean because there is there is steps right we we clear away the wreckage of our past and all that, but nobody ever addressed this now it's only a little bit, honestly, lately, you know, dealing with finally finding a good therapist where there's a connection, but really there's, there's a big disconnect, you know, and, and people are missing that connection. I think that's why they go to treatment so much. Right. Uh, So how do, how do they find this? Like, what could they do if they come to you? I know they could take some classes. Is that correct? Or do some learning? So
0: There there are a couple of different ways to access conscious recovery. I don't actually work with clients individually at this point. And it's not because I don't want to. I love it. It, it, There's a part of me that really misses that. But I know what someone really needs. And I know that I'm so busy, I don't have time to give that to someone. So that was a little bit of a, a diversion from your question. But when someone starts working with conscious recovery, they can do it online. It's a book. It's a workbook. Mostly where people are accessing it is in treatment centers. What one can expect from conscious recovery is starting with a recognition that this is really not a destination, but a remembering. And I think that is a, a fundamental difference. And also, what you said, you know, I think there have been so many wonderful uh, changes and evolution in our recovery world, in support groups and treatment. And right now, I think more and more of us are saying, what about actually starting to try to? to Spend some time healing this trauma rather than, you know, I would hear speakers, Derek, and I'm sure you've heard speakers that would tell a horrific story about their childhood and all this trauma. And then they would say, but that's not why I drank. I drank because I have a disease or I drank because I'm an alcoholic. And we all knew, including the speaker, that there was a connection, but there was almost there, there I don't know if it was that there was fear to address it. What I really think is at the root of it, and this is true for me is that i hadn't healed a lot of my own trauma so i wasn't able to encourage others to do it and so i was on this cycle of don't worry about that don't worry about that and then i i heard that one day and realized wow we all know on some level this is about going back and healing some of the original wounds and
1: i think more and more of us are now talking about it and doing it okay all right so so let me understand this concept because You know, I've always thought of, you know, they talk about aligning my will with God's will. Okay. And in essence, I feel like when I was in my addiction, I could feel that it wasn't right. Right. So I was acting in a way that was against God's intention for me. Right. And I could feel it right in my kind of chest. It felt wrong um, because I felt like I wasn't meant to be alone and I wasn't meant to be just useless. Right. I couldn't hold a job. I couldn't build relationships. So that forced me to then grow and advance spiritually, and as I move forward, I keep trying to align my will with God's will because I do believe that's important. And in essence, that means following um, my true intentions, like using my gifts to their greatest ability. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Like, how did you realize what what your purpose was, and and you know, kind of get the strength and the courage to go out and pursue that?
0: Well, I'll start with the framework about the idea of God's will. Um, I know in 12-step programs, there's a focus on finding a higher power and surrendering to that higher power. And I think that's important for many people. And there are also a lot of people that aren't necessarily looking for the idea of a God, right? And that's okay. I think that's, you know, in in some 12-step circles, I've heard people say, well, it's okay but ultimately, you're going to, you know, sort of a side conversation, but they're going to find God. And so for right. some people, they do want to find um, a divine purpose or a being or this idea of a God for other people. And the way I frame it in Conscious Recovery is that we came into the world whole and perfect, these beautiful spiritual beings. If we look at the pristine nature of, a, a, of an infant, I don't think any of us can look at this beautiful little being and say, gosh, you're damaged or broken. and so. Spirituality for me um, is reconnecting with that, regardless of if it's a concept of God or not. So if someone uses that framework, then you could say there's a God and God has a purpose for me. For someone maybe that has a more Buddhist approach or maybe even like they have an atheist approach. Like I'm not looking for a higher power. Reconnecting with our true nature is essentially spiritual. And for me, and this is just for me, the idea of God or God essence or spirituality or true nature, whatever word we use, is really an inner journey. And it requires me to be still enough and quiet enough to listen to that inner knowing. Mm -hmm. And so for me, recovery, a big part of it is unlearning, unlearning all the beliefs and ideas that we've created that have prevented us from experiencing that, and then spending some time in some kind of practice, whether that's a spiritual practice, a meditation practice, a mindfulness practice, some way of reconnecting with that true nature. In conscious recovery, I identify one of the root causes of addiction as spiritual disconnection. And what I'm talking about with that is that true nature and how do we reconnect with that to me is foundational in
1: recovery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes um, I hear it referred to my true nature. Now you take it all the way back to being a perfect newborn, which I understand, but I wasn't necessarily conscious at that point, <laughs> at least to my awareness. Um, but back to that point, like before life ruined me or before I lost all my dreams and my, you know what I mean? Cause we go through that change and it's really often through bullying, through difficulty from childhood, whatever the trauma was, you know, difficult parents, um, difficult situation. And then we get more into survival mode, you know? So, So that must, but it must take work, right? To be able to reconnect to that self. I mean, that's that doesn't sound necessarily easy.
0: A wise person once said it can take a lifetime and it can happen in an instant this instantaneous memory. And it's not a memory, but a re experiencing of our true nature. And I love the way you frame it. Yeah, thank you. And, And yeah, most of us don't remember being a perfect infant. But a lot of us can remember being filled with joy or happiness, uh, connection, openness, when we were really young, before we got programmed, uh, what I call the pre-programmed human, before we are taught about, um, you know, issues of race, of age, of gender, of all the different things we get taught. Um, You mentioned bullying, and that was a huge part of my story, and it was that. I took on the opinions of others and started believing that my brokenness was true and that that joy that was within me was untrue. And I disconnected from that. So, you know, I've worked with people that have a heartbreaking story of not remembering that time they were filled with joy. They came into a family system where abuse happened instantly. And for them, I invite them to look at a small baby and say, can you imagine viewing that baby as broken? For some of us, we remember, I remember being four, five, six, seven, and just being filled with happiness and connection. And if you look at what we want to achieve in a spiritual practice, it's innate in a really small child. Openness, presence, feeling our feelings, connecting with others. You know, I mean, even the idea of being present with someone, most of us were taught, oh, it's not polite to stare, but you know, that that presence, that connection... Is actually vital for human survival and for me, spiritual survival.
1: Oh yeah, I, I, I love that TJ, and that's I really I really enjoy your teachings. You know, I've been learning more about you and what you do um, because you know disconnection. I feel like addiction tries to you know they always say addiction wants to isolate us and kill us, right? So it disconnects me from people, and when I act out in my addiction, then I get angry at my significant other. I, I I'm hard on my difficult on my kids. I, I don't talk to people and I isolate. And um, it's interesting over the holidays, you know, I've always been against playing games, right? I just, I never want to play a game because I'd rather play on my phone. I'd rather watch TV. I'd rather do something by myself. But I realized, you know what, Derek, the reason I hate playing games is because it's like the ultimate connection. Like when you sit around a table with people and you play a game, I'm forced to not look at my phone. I'm forced to engage. And I'm like, I need to do this. Like, it was a light bulb went on for me. I need to do this. This is part of those habits of change, you know, to connect with people. I don't know. That that's been a big one for me, just connecting with people.
0: Yeah, I love that. And one thing that I like to explore with people is what the benefit of the addictive behavior is. We start with that. Look at all the ways it's helped us. And because what you're speaking to is so true, right? Eventually, uh, substance use addiction. Isolates us, But in the beginning, it might have actually helped at least create a belief that we were connecting up. Yes, for yes, those of us who have been around people drinking when we're sober, we realize it may not be the most authentic connection. Right. But initially, it was helping them feel connected. So when we look at it, it's like, what was great about it? And then ask the question, what do I really desire? And is you know alcohol or sex or shopping, whatever it is, is that actually feeding what I'm looking for? And what you're speaking to is what I really want is authentic connection, connection with myself and connection with others.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Authentic connection, real connection. I used to chase, chase fake, fake connections because um, they were kind of exciting, right? <laughs> um, so, so, <laughs> tell me a little bit. About about <laughs> right. Until they're not, exactly. <laughs> until I'm afraid to answer my phone. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> can you tell me about the concept of unharmable? I know that's one of your um, platforms. Can you teach me about that a little bit?
0: Yeah. Essentially, it's what we've been talking about. Um, Most people on planet Earth believe that there's something fundamentally wrong with them, whether they have addiction or not. If If we spend enough time with someone and start really getting to know them, a lot of us have picked up this idea that we're broken or damaged. And a lot of the addiction and recovery models actually focus on that as well. What's wrong? How do we help you fix it? You know whether it's 12-step or treatment or a therapist's office. And this idea, and I like to ask it as a question, because when I ask a question, I'm curious. When I make a statement, um, I might agree or disagree with it. And my mind agrees or disagrees with just everything in the world, right? Because that's what the mind does. But when we ask a question and we open and we're curious, then we can see what, what feels true for us. So the question is, what if there's a place within you that's unharmed and unharmable? Because in my journey, as I've said, and in working with clients, so many people are like, yeah, but I'm broken. I worked with a young man who said, I don't care what you say. I am damaged. I am broken. And I worked with him for a while in treatment and then in a, my private practice when I had one and about 18 months in with tears in his eyes, he said, oh my gosh, there is a place within me that's unarmed. There is a place within me that's unarmable. Wow. And Having that recognition then allowed him to start doing the deeper healing work. Because if I believe I'm broken and then I'm trying to heal my trauma, it is difficult. It is a process. It is painful. But when I say, what if there's a place within me that's unharmable? And what would it take for me to have more of an experience of that? Spend time with that. Just exploring that possibility will, will shift our the trajectory of our life in a powerful way.
1: Hmm. Okay. No, that's that's really helpful. So, so that person eventually kind of found it or realized it, right? It was like the layers were removed and they were able to see it, the truth, kind
0: of. Yeah, and feel it, right? Just have that felt sense of wow. I because he was one of those people that said, "I don't remember feeling happy as a child. I remember instantly feeling that it wasn't safe, right?" And that, mm-hmm. and that's a heartbreaking, but often um, told experience you know someone comes in just the birth experience itself it's like oh my gosh i'm in this world and you know i mean i i was pulled out with forceps and put in an incubator so no wonder i was afraid right and and i want to do i want to say one thing it's not like then therefore it's that hospital's fault or the nurse's fault or you know it's it's more of like oh yeah that's what i experienced i might not have a conscious memory of that but i did experience the world being scary and i mean that was all the way through until I was around 40 when I started exploring that wow I was well into my sobriety when I said oh my gosh I've been operating with this deep belief and deep frequency that the world isn't safe and I was protecting myself I was putting up walls and that was great it protected me but it was ultimately protecting
1: me from the love and connection I desired oh my goodness So, so TJ, I'm really enjoying this conversation. Uh, you're good to talk to. <laughs> um, you know, I've always thought that sobriety gives me the gift of awareness. You know, I always said when I was in my addiction, again, I was kind of unaware of lots of things. And it's interesting because that awareness, as you're pointing out, you said you were well into your, you know, your 40s when you started having, it gets deeper and deeper, right? So we kind of peeled the layer of the onion. We learned more and more. And that's kind of the journey, isn't it? Just to keep gaining awareness. 100%
0: that's it and becoming you know a wise person once said there are three steps awareness awareness and awareness and those (laughs) deepen right and you know you and I have heard the phrase the truth will set you free but first it'll piss you off so (laughs) some some of those layers of awareness can be really painful and some of those layers of awareness can be really joyful and a deep sense of um, self-compassion self-love it's like I remember as I was peeling the onion or maybe it was being peeled for me because if I resist it, it's still gonna happen. Uh right. some of those layers were really just, oh, this feels so good. I'm so happy. I'm filled with joy again. And then another layer is like, oh, I have to address this thing I've been doing or this belief I've been having. And you know, pain. Uh the, the relationship between pain and addiction is fascinating because. A lot of us are using and drinking, or you know, like you said, masturbating. I think we don't talk about sex enough in our culture. We bury it. So I think I applaud you for bringing it up. Um, anything that we're using, we a lot of it, maybe, maybe all of it, is about running from the pain or trying to change the pain. And so, mm-hmm. if if addiction is running from the pain or numbing the pain, then at least a part of recovery is learning how to feel it and learning how to be with it. And I realized what I'd been running from for decades wasn't as painful as I thought it was. And it was almost, I remember someone came up to me once and said, wow, did it take you 40 years to figure that out? (laughs) Why, yes, it did.
1: (laughs) Some people never do, right? Um, Right? Yeah. Yeah, my old uh, friend of mine used to say, he said, pain, growth, slide. Pain, growth, slide. He said, that's a cycle in recovery. You know, so you feel the pain and then you're willing to grow a little bit. Right. But then you get complacent and you slide back into the pain. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm always kind of reinvigorating myself. Uh, So here's one thing maybe you can help me with that. You know, lately, my my therapist has been asking me, well, what are some fun things you can do? You know, what are like positive endorphin fun things that you could do to replace? And she asked me and I'm just like a blank slate. I'm like, well, I have no hobbies. I can't think of anything. And she's like, well, I don't, I'm not surprised because addicts often don't have hobbies because they just go to their addiction. I mean, what are some things you do that are kind of like positive endorsing, produ- endorphin producing activities that make you feel better?
0: Well, I'm going to answer this question in a little bit nonlinear way, which of okay. course I do. I think that that is useful. And I think there's something deeper too. And that is when I spend time dedicating myself, and I'm going to go back to the same thing, to reconnecting with my true nature, asking myself the question, what's the highest vision for my life? My third book, Conscious Creation, came out uh, recently. And that's really the emphasis of the book, is how to listen to that inner wisdom. So then it becomes not what can I do to have fun? But who can I be? And then whatever I'm being in the world, and I know that's not grammatically correct, but however, whoever I'm being in the world, then that's infused with more purpose. So maybe it's not about looking for what's fun but how can i be more connected with my true nature and what would it be like if everything could be fun then and that's when we it's organic right it's it's a process of like it's not about like oh my gosh i shouldn't be doing this addictive behavior as i connect with that as i listen to the inner voice as i live life more on purpose and there's a group in the Conscious Recovery Curriculum. And when I used to facilitate it, I would tell clients, I guarantee you in 90 minutes, you're going to know your purpose. And everyone would laugh. And then I would say, I'll give you 100% guarantee that you're going to know your purpose or a full refund from the treatment program, which of course I couldn't you know, actually offer. But purpose, as we have defined it, especially in the United States, it's an action. I'm going to be a good father. I'm going to be the best CEO. I'm going to be the best whatever it is. And in my group and in my life, I've recognized that purpose is actually a quality, not an action. And when I'm living from that quality, I'm living on purpose. So the group, it's a long process, but ultimately we get to three words that the the client or the person identifies for themselves. Open, loving, present... And then we invite us to like write those three words down. And if I feel off kilter, or if I feel like life isn't fun, or I feel like I'm in conflict, remind myself of those three words. Oh, yeah, that's who I really am. When I'm living from that, maybe I don't even necessarily need life to be fun because it's joy-filled. And that's, I think, a little bit different even than the idea of looking for what's fun. And that was a long answer, but I hope I got somewhere for
1: you. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. I, li- I like that. Um, so again, it goes back to kind of your true nature and purpose-filled. Um, and if I'm living a purpose-filled life and a joy-filled life, then I'm not. I don't need the addiction, right? I don't need to to numb out because <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Um, so okay, so so TJ, we are kind of coming toward the end. So tell us a little bit how can how can our listeners um, follow you, engage with you, and do you have any like parting messages that people could take, some wisdom to to, sh- to share?
0: Yeah, the best place to follow me is on Instagram. It's uh, TJ Woodward underscore. And I post there. There's links there to the books, to the courses, all of the different ways you can access conscious recovery. If you own or operate a treatment program, we can talk about how to integrate it into your system of care. What I want to say in closing is what we've been really talking about. And I'll speak directly to someone who's watching or listening now. And that is if no one's told you today, you are a whole and perfect spiritual being. You came into this world with this perfection and it's still there under, maybe under layers of beliefs or ideas or traumatic experiences. And what I know to be true is that your purpose is to rediscover that and live as
1: that in the world. Oh, I love that, man. You, you just inspired me. You gave me tingles. So, So TJ, TJ Woodward, uh, very, very grateful for you to be on the Recovering CEO podcast. Um, we will stay in touch and I hope our listeners follow you and learn more about conscious recovery. So have a good day, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: You thought that you could have it all and life could be a ball. Well, you fell and scabbed your knee. Now you can